You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those people who lived well and died well, those who stepped up to meet the challenges of their time and brought forward their medicine in a good way. I call out to these people to be with us, those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us, the living, that we might learn from those who have gone before us, that we may draw on those rich resources of humanity and learn to be better humans, learn to bring our medicine forward in this time and to be the blessing that we were born to be. And as these ancestors gather around us here today, Let us open our focus as humans and reach through these human ancestors to the life that has been here on this planet much longer than there have been humans. And let us reach to our more ancient ancestors, to the plants and the animals and the bugs and the rocks and all the many things that are here that are not human, living with us um, on our beautiful earth. And I call out to these ancestors to help us to remember our true nature. Help us to remember that we are part of the great fabric of life. And help us to remember the essence of what it is to be human and to bring the power of the human heart, its capacity to change and to innovate and to love, to bring that power of the human heart into manifestation here in our world. And I ask these energies, these non-human energies, to help us to see, each one of us to see, how to be more truly and fully human in our everyday life. And so as these ancestors gather around us in their many forms, let us gather ourselves. And draw yourself from wherever you might be into your head, Begin to diminish the number of things you're doing all at once, down to one, as you bring your awareness from your head to your heart, from your heart to your belly, and take a moment of singular focus and touch the earth with your awareness, if you can, with your hand, maybe you're standing there with your little feet, but to touch the earth and offer your gratitude for this day, gratitude for your life. Gratitude for all that has been in your life that has brought you to this moment, no matter what it has been. Gratitude for this place that we walk that journey. Gratitude for this moment in this day. And gratitude for all that will be, even the challenges that that will hold. We give thanks for it all, for this is life. And we give thanks for life. We give thanks for the wonder and the awe of life itself and for the generosity in the earth's dreaming. 
that anything that is present here can be changed as long as we are still breathing. And we give great gratitude for this capacity to set things right, to reconcile, and to bring things to a higher state of health. And for enormous gratitude to the earth for all that is that makes our life as humans filled with diversity and beauty, we give thanks as we reach down through all the layers of the earth, letting our gratitude pour out to every layer of the earth as we reach down, reaching for the very center of the earth. And imagine that in any way that is useful for you in the function of grounding. Allowing yourself to ground your own energy to the very center of the earth, to anchor it firmly there as we turn our attention to these energies that draw their power from stillness, from silence, from darkness, from peace. As we reach into these energies, we reach into that energy that is before abundance that is before nourishment, that is before diversity, that is before blessing. We reach into this energy and draw up. And we draw the energy of the earth up just as we would draw in water, fresh, clear, clean water on a hot, parched day. And we draw this earth energy up into our body Asking the earth energy to help us to understand how to be manifest in form in a good way. We draw up nourishment, we draw up refreshment, we draw up the energies that replenish and restore and renew and allow us to settle in, to be responsible to ourselves, to be dependable. And in this way, we settle into our body, into our grounding, into our place and come to know ourselves our sovereignty and understand where we stand and what we stand for and that we tune in deeply to that which has heart and meaning in a real way not just what we've been told should but what do we feel what has heart and meaning and let us build our lives on that which truly moves our heart our sense of home our sense of place our sense of belonging and let us do so in a way that we always challenge ourselves to open to that which is other than who we are. That we might, might be challenged by this energy to grow into the men and the women that we have really come here to be. And as we learn from the earth how to connect and how to be interconnected and interdependent, let us open up our awareness to the environment and um, open up our relationship to other living things here, open our, our relationship to the invisible world. And may we try in each day, open our heart to a sense of oneness around us and to see ourselves as part of that great web of life and let that restore for us our deepest sense of right relationship. And so as we connect with these earth energies and allow these energies to teach us how it is to be here in form in a good way. Let us draw our energy up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind and reach up and out through the layers of the sky, reaching all the way out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos, allowing these energies to touch yours and your energy to touch them. Caress and be caressed by the great mystery of our universe as you reach up to the highest power of the universe in whatever way you understand that energy whatever name you call it and to draw that energy down into yourself 
into these proceedings, into your day. And in this way, as you draw down these radiant divine energies from above, you draw into yourself the energy of blessings, the energy of protection. And from this, we shape the energies of devotion and commitment. Draw down this energy that you might fill yourself with the benevolence of this universe. Allow yourself to open as you call in to inspiration and illumination along the way and call in the great beneficence of this vast experience. We call it all in, drawing it into our head, sending it down to our heart, down to our belly and down to the center of the earth. And in this way with earth rising and the sky descending, we connect these two great legendary lovers within ourselves who become a conduit a place of meeting for these energies that fills us with their energy. Together they are this big love energy. And let that awaken the spirit of your heart. And may your heart then awaken the crucible of transformation that lives within the heart. With your intention, you draw up the fiery passions of your belly into your heart that they can be known and loved and you draw down the crystal clarity of your mind drawing that into your heart so those ideas can be grounded and made relevant you let these energies mix and merge together there in the heart so that that dynamic tension that exists between them gives birth to that third and most sacred thing some sense some inkling some understanding of why it is that you are here and with a nice deep breath reach into that very same human heart and find the courage that you need to do something in this day large or small to bring your gifts to the world and for the abundant and diverse spirit help that we have each one of us in doing what it is that we've come here to do I give great thanks may what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I'd like to give thanks to Kay and Yasmin, to Michelle, Nick, Sarah, Therese, and to Julie. And all these are all listeners who have donated financially to the show. So for those of you that are listening for the first time, Why Shamanism Now is listener supported. And that means listeners like you donate amounts, large and small. Some donate monthly, some donate occasionally. But one way or another, you all donate enough to be able to pay the bills to keep Why Shamanism Now on the air, to keep the archives there at whyshamanismnow.com. They're also, of course, on iTunes and at co-creatornetwork.com. But all of these things do require that we make payments. And so I thank those of you that are helping me to do that. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com. And hit the support button, scroll down, donate any amount, large or small. It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And for all of it, even the humble donations of $3, we are grateful. It's not that I'm looking for people to donate $5,000. i am looking for 5,000 people uh, or 1,000 people to donate five. So I thank you all for all that you are doing financially to help the show to be stable 
and to fund itself here in the world. And I also give gratitude to those of you that have been creative about finding other ways to help the show to grow, and I ask you to continue. I'm also grateful for those of you that bring the teachings of the show into your life, into your journey circles, into your practice, and then in that way help these teachings to grow by sharing questions and show ideas that arise from your own fine work in the world. And in this way, we're all learning how to bring uh, authentic shamanic practice into our contemporary lives. And along that path here, um, last week, we started a conversation about power. We talked with Jose Luis Stevens about his book, Encounters with Power. And today, I'd like to continue that conversation. So we are live today. So if you have questions, you are, of course, welcome to call in about today's topic. You can call in at 512-772-1938. You can Skype in from anywhere from the co-creatornetwork.com site. And you can always email me after the fact, especially if you're listening to the archives or to this as a podcast. You can always email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And I would be happy to send you a regular address for a regular check or um, this is a place for questions, anything. Okay. So, as I said, last week we were talking about power. What is a right relationship with power? And once we make a successful bid for power, how do we use it? Right? And perhaps the more important question is how do we maintain and sustain that relationship with power without turning towards control or dominance or manipulation to hang on to it and to help it to grow, the perception of it growing. So last week, Jose Luis Stevens joined us, as I said, and he spoke um, about his own encounters with power in a beautiful book that he's written um, that gathers all of these teaching stories about his own experience um, uh, cultivating power. And we talked about um, how we make ourselves ready for power, how we make a bid for power. We talked about the fact that we pay for power with our comfort. And Jose uh, spoke ultimately to the vulnerability that is necessary to access the flow of power that already exists and that we maintain that relationship with that flow of power through the cultivation in our own lives and in our own hearts of gratitude, the cultivation of love, and the cultivation of awe in each day. So for more from Jose, um, you can certainly find his show in the archives. Um, you can look in guests, Jose Stevens, scroll down, click, and there you go. You can also purchase his book, Encounters with Power, Adventures and Misadventures on the Shamanic Path of Healing. Um, Jose has done a really beautiful job, I think, in telling stories in this book. And stories themselves have great power, which... I think contemporary people here in America are only just now waking up to the profound power of stories and the way uh, in which we have gotten ourselves as a group into our current political, economic, and social situation through the stories that we tell and who we allow to tell us our stories, etc. So if you're interested in power of stories, there are already shows podcasts in the archives about stories and the storyteller we might circle around about that later this year um and my conversations with jose last week and and reading the book itself really left me contemplating power 
um, not just the bid for power and the expression of power, but also the cultivation of power and the revelation of power that is already present. And so this time, which just to locate this particular podcast in time is the spring of 2017, it feels to me like a particularly potent time to speak of power and especially the right use of power since uh, around the world, not just here in the United States, but around the world, we see some fairly potent examples of the abuse of power, profound nationwide uh, grand expressions of the abuse of power. Um, And there's one thing Jose spoke of, which I find absolutely true which is that in general with people that are called to spirit work and spiritual power, there is a real tendency um, to be afraid of power. And we've, we've seen so much abuse of power we, and so little right use of power that most people that enter into my teachings, for example, um, reflect what Jose said, which is that most people can't imagine power as a good thing. And that's a problem since your work with shamanism is all about coming into right relationship with power. So Jose spoke um, briefly in last week's show um, about power is something that you can't really grab or hold on to, which is interesting, you know, because we talk, well, we meaning the media in the United States talks about making a grab for power. And we certainly see that in under the heading of ways you can abuse power. Um, um, As we talk more about the true nature of of power, not the abuse of power, but the true nature of power, um, Jose was talking about it as something that you actually can't grab or hold on to, but as an energy that is present and flowing. Um, And he explores this much more deeply in his book as a whole. Um, And so power is not... So um, a thing, really, so much as it is more like a river or something that flows, perhaps a river of energy. I don't know. It's really hard to describe it's, as we as we move into really trying to understand power. We realize how much we don't understand about it, or at least how much we lack the words to really talk about it. But nonetheless, power is more something that is ever present and that and that at its best it is flowing than it is something that we sort of can grab onto and hoard or hold on to. Um, it's something that is in its true form is in constant movement and it is present, moving through all things in different degrees or perhaps another way to think of that would be different qualities like turbulence or calm. I mean, for me, this sort of river metaphor is working for me right now, but then I come from the Pacific Northwest where we've got a lot of rivers, a lot of different personalities in those rivers. Um, So maybe it's not such a good metaphor for those of you who live in, in a desert or on top of a mountain. I don't know. But anyway, the point is, I think for us to begin to think of power not as a thing that sits there like a big load of cash, but that it's actually an energy that is in movement and that like most things that are part of a shamanic life, we're probably better off thinking of 
our relationship with power. That power exists. It is in all things. It exists within us. And what we're look, really looking at is the growth and cultivation, the education of our relationship with it. Okay, so if we go back to this idea of power as something that flows um, and think of it in that way. So we're looking at the possibility um, here that one can get better at accessing that river of power, right? Now, one can also get better at redirecting that river of power towards some intended outcome. And this, I think, is the true art um, of shamanism, which is the art of ritual and the art of ceremony. And these are ways, um, probably the, the, the most powerful ways of um, redirecting. Once we access power, of redirecting it towards a specific outcome of change on one hand, in ritual, or the reaffirmation of a desired status quo and so for example all the um, ceremonies from the native peoples of the southwest the beauty ways are um, about restoring a person who's had a particular experience back to the beauty way it's a really beautiful way of understanding healing but anyway the point is that it's not just about accessing power you know, it's kind of like uh, if you imagine yourself grabbing a fire hose with, you know, the water coursing through it. If you can't point it at the fire, it's not doing anybody a whole lot of good. Or turn on the fire hydrant so you can uh, play in it on a hot day in Manhattan. But the whole point is if you can't direct that power with intention, you can't really call yourself a shamanic healer or a shamanic practitioner for that matter. Okay, so we're accessing it, we're redirecting it. And then another thing that Jose was actually talking about, but not really quite in these words, the way I look at it is we also can become better at becoming an unobstructed vessel for that power to move through. And this is, of course, the work we talk to on and off constantly on Why Shamanism Now, which is the work of becoming a hollow bone that the fact that you can journey does not make you a hollow bone, that the process of becoming a hollow bone is a much, much deeper and more involved um, human process. But relative to power, what we're looking at is, um, am I able to become an unobstructed vessel for that flow? In other words, one of the ways that I look at it and teach in the cycle is that the world out here in front of me, the day, is asking for things. There are things that need to happen. And that energy is present, but it's waiting for a human that it can move through. And if, if uh, healing is needed, but I have my own internal issues blocking that power from moving through, it will try to move through me, but it will deflect in some way that does not actually um, reach that need for healing and satisfy it. And so our days are filled with things that need to happen, wanting to happen, waiting for a human being to be available 
to uh, uh, allow the energy that's wanting to come in to meet the need to flow through. And so becoming an unobstructed vessel for that power is in my mind at the very core of becoming a true shamanic practitioner. Because in shamanism, there's always this fuzzy line between um, a shaman and a sorcerer. And it depends on which culture, traditional culture that you're in, traditional cultures tend to be very more clear about the line, I have to admit. Contemporary people are very unclear about the line, partly because we've been infused with a couple centuries of profound misinformation and confusion about it, very intentional, um, intentionally directed confusion about it, so we don't know the difference between a shaman and a sorcerer. A simple way to begin to think about that line is about the manipulation of of power. Are you manipulating something into doing something against its true nature? Or are you opening the way to restore something's true nature and harmony with that true nature? And so um, the shaman's job is to restore harmony and to restore things to their true nature so that they can be in harmony with that web of life. And so what a sorcerer can do is they can restore harmony, but they're also willing and able to obstruct that harmony and divert something from its true nature. And, and it's, it's a tricky conversation with shamanism because let's pick something relatively innocent, which is turning to the shaman for help with hunting magic, uh, what's been called hunting magic. But basically, hunting magic has been necessary. If there hadn't been hunting magic, most of us wouldn't be here because our ancestors wouldn't have survived. But hunting magic is basically inviting an animal to do something against its nature, which is basically stand there and get shot by the arrow or run off the, you know, whatever it is. And so whatever it is to be able to actually succeed in killing the animal so that you have the animal to eat. Now, that's hunting magic. And it is a manipulation of the animal's true nature. And yet most indigenous shamans in North America would have done that would have been expected to do that by their people. So that's what I mean by the line um, can be a little strange between shamans and sorcerers and how we understand that. I think um, the issue where it's important for us as contemporary people, since most of us go buy our food at the grocery store, grow it ourselves, not quite so much hunting magic needed these days, especially with the extreme advantage human beings possess with high-powered weapons. So I think the issue for us today is are we manipulating a human against their free will? And are we manipulating the earth itself against its harmony and flow? I mean, these are the issues that are really before us today is the manipulation of other humans and the manipulation of our environment. These, these are big the big issues ahead of us. And so um, back to the topic at hand, what is important here for each of us as individuals is we look at how are we cultivating, meaning how in terms of ethics and morals, are we cultivating our ability to access power, our ability to redirect that power with intention 
and our ability to become an unobstructed flow of that power. And so one of the greatest obstructions to the true flow of power in a human is the human being's ego. The ego will redirect the flow that's trying to happen between the source and the day to what the human being wants, the ego of the human being wants. Right? So that's um, one of the most common obstructions to the free flow of power through a human practitioner. Okay. And there's one other thing. I'm getting a little distracted here. So let me get back to the topic here, which is there's one other aspect of power, which is almost always overlooked. And that is about getting better at exposing the innate and unique divine power within that is constantly asking to blossom. To release that beauty into the world and then to let go, to die off and then to blossom anew. Because power resides within. And it is this power that contemporary people are least willing to make the bid for. That we, we spend gobs of money to travel to exotic foreign places to make a bid for power with shamans all over the world. And yet, reluctant, we are re- remain reluctant to spend the time and energy necessary in our daily lives to really expose the innate and unique divine power within ourselves. And this requires that we expose our most intimate and vulnerable selves to the harsh reality of life and to trust that there is a greater reality in all things and to blossom relentlessly, regardless, and completely and thus giving ourselves to the world. And this is also a power that we should make a bid for. So on the show, Jose was able to speak pretty well about how we get better at accessing power um, before we ran out of time on the show. And he said clearly that blaming, resisting, judging, whining, and feeling like a victim are not ways of power, but they are ways to lose the opportunity to become more powerful. And he continues to speak um, to the sort of complementary dualism inherent in actually accessing power in life here on earth, um, which is to become more powerful, you must be vulnerable, but not stupid. And that's a quote from the book. Okay, so first, let's check in with this. So honestly, ask yourself, how much time do you spend blaming How much time resisting? How much time judging? How much time whining? And how much time feeling like a victim? I can actually name people moving through my own teachings that really struggle to get out of these postures. Right? So if you are like most people in the United States, for example, you spend quite a lot of time in blaming or resisting or judging or whining or feeling like a victim. And so, for example, consider these things relative to our current political climate. And so think of all of this time 
that you spend blaming, resisting, judging, whining, or feeling like a victim. Think of that as time that you are choosing to lose the opportunity to become more powerful. And think of that particularly in the context of the fact that we actually need to become more powerful if we're going to be able to transform the situation, for example, here in the United States, in the Philippines, in the UK, UK and in, in many of these places in the world where the dynamic of the power needs to change. We need to become more powerful, and yet we're spending gobs of time, at least here in the United States, consciously choosing to lose the opportunity to become more powerful. And this is part of the beauty of what Jose was sharing with us, that if you want to make a bid for power and become more effective in creating change, then it begins by becoming more vulnerable. So for many of us, this begins a journey of transformation in our own relationship with our capacity for vulnerability. And that most people will loop right back out of that journey, that journey towards greater vulnerability, um, if you don't actually choose to go there with the guidance of your helping spirits. Most people will need a little bit of help holding their little footies to the fire of truly um, opening to their capacity for vulnerability. And so the journey um, usually begins with confronting your contemporary belief that to be vulnerable is to be weak. Um, That's not true, but most of us have been taught that in the Western world, frankly. So um, your helping spirits are quite happy to re-educate you, right? Um, And so... Uh, for many of you, this this journey could begin by, in the journey, going to your helping spirits and explaining that you would like to prepare yourself to seize the opportunities to become more powerful as they arise in any moment, any given day. So that you you want to prepare yourself to be able to recognize and seize those opportunities. And so then, given that context, that little preamble conversation with your helping spirits, then ask, how do I begin to cultivate the vulnerability necessary to access true power? And you'll be given a step. It might not be an easy step, but you'll be given your next step. And so what's important is you expect this to be a process, not a singular answer, right? So you get a step, and if you take that step, that will unfold Um, And then this whole thing will be a journey with multiple steps, right? So you'll take that step to the best of your ability, go back into the journey, ask the question again, what's the next step? And you'll continue to go on that personal journey of what is necessary for you to actually cultivate the vulnerability necessary to recognize these opportunities to to gain power and and as Jose said to be ready to step into that what is usually a bit of a void and to seize the moment as they say so somewhere along the way um, of that journey right you will encounter the need for wisdom and discernment and this goes back to the second part of the equation here, the complementary dualism issue with vulnerability, is it's important not to be a fool. It's important not to be stupid. Um, and so, and by, I don't mean fool as in the trickster. I mean fool as in just being stupid, 
Okay, so somewhere along the way, you will encounter the need um, for wisdom relative to vulnerability and discernment necessary um, to not, to, as Jose said, not be stupid as you surrender into your vulnerability. Okay, so let me share with you a real practical example of what I think this means. Okay, so in in the contemporary time, like right now, in the United States, I don't know how this plays out in other countries, but in the United States, it is not uncommon of anybody who is presenting as a shamanic a teacher of shamanic skills or whatever. Anyway, for those of us who are teaching, to get the kind of student who is completely ready, they'll tell you, I'm completely ready with tears in their eyes. I will do anything. I will surrender everything. I, I will do anything to become a shaman. That I, I'm sure this is my calling and I will do anything. And I don't want to work to take care of myself in the world. I just want to be a shaman. I just want to make myself completely available to the process of becoming a shamanic healer. Um, but I don't want to work. <laughs> so this is to me, the absolute most common example of vulnerability with a big dose of stupidity. As an adult in the world, you are responsible for meeting your survival needs to the standard that you choose to, period. It is not anyone else's responsibility. And that is true while you are involved in any training program, including training to become a shaman, even if that program, quote unquote, is not so clear. While that's happening, it is your job to meet your own needs. And so that, that uh, while it may be born of a kind of innocence and naivete, it is still, frankly, vulnerability with a big dose of stupidity that it is important for you to stay grounded in reality if you are venturing into any of the healing arts that involve you engaging in altered states grounding in reality and one of the most grounding issues of reality is simply meeting your needs as a human being and as an adult, that's your responsibility, period. So I think, believe that this is the kind of thing that Jose is speaking to, which is it is important to cultivate vulnerability to the spirit world, to power, to your work, to your helping spirits, to your own heart, all of these things. And this is why cultivating vulnerability for us is a journey because vulnerability has many facets, most of us are already too vulnerable to our mind. We don't have enough boundaries there. And most of us are not vulnerable enough to our own heart. Many of you are highly sensitive. You're too vulnerable to the environment around you. 
And so the journey of the vulnerability, the balance there in the vulnerability necessary to be in right relationship with power and to cultivate it, to be able to make a bid for power and gather it, to learn to direct it, to learn to use it well and to become a better and better tool for that power, meaning less and less of your own internal obstruction. All of this requires this constant journey unfolding the depth and your capacity for vulnerability that is moved in your life with wisdom and discernment. Okay, so that was basically this piece that we talked about of learning to access the power. And once you can access it, back to the fire hose, right? You need to learn to point it in the right direction so that it accomplishes what you're trying to do. Um, So learning to redirect the flow of power towards a desired outcome is both an art and a skill. There, There are definitely two aspects to that part of working with power in shamanism. And because... An aspect of that is art, that ability to direct power towards a particular outcome. Um, Some people have a certain talent in doing that, just sort of a natural instinct or intuition around it. So talent matters wherever we're talking about art and art. However, talent around redirecting power without skills or education is the most easily abused power in shamanic work that if you have a just a kind of a natural talent towards ritual or ceremony or directing power redirecting power but you don't actually educate yourself in the doing of that particularly around the ethics and the morality of doing that it is really really easily abused as many talents can be so educating yourself in a system that understands uh power and that you're making a bid for power, um, educating yourself in a system like that will teach you about the morality and ethics of working with that power. Okay, so with that said, at the same time, really good skills practiced with discipline and creativity, in other words, not just the repetition of dogma. Okay, so use of a skill in my mind is not repetition of a skill as if it were dogma that discipline speaks to my commitment to cultivate myself and the creativity speaks to my growing ability to use the skills in a creative way that meets the needs in the moment right so I'm talking about gaining skills and practicing those skills with both the discipline and creativity that can make up for a lack of talent any day. And so, of course, what's amazing is when someone has talent, but also the humility to educate themselves so that they use, they, they gain the skills to really direct that talent. Um, they have discipline in spite of the fact that they have talent. They don't have to work as hard at it as we do, but they still work to discipline themselves so that they become that unobstructed vessel for that talent 
to move the power in the world. So all of these things are variables. They're going to be different for all of us, but they remain equally important for all of us. Okay, so there is this issue of accessing power, of learning to redirect that power, and then obviously the, the part here which is doing, having the discipline, understanding the ethics and the morality, understanding your impact on things and having the discipline then to continue to remove your internal obstructions so that power can move through you freely. I mean, my idea about this for myself, for example, is that as I become a more and more masterful practitioner, my actions in the world become more and more anonymous. Right? I become less and less uh, Christina present and the personality and the flavor that I bring to that and more and more just pure conduit for power. So it would become, I would become more anonymous, not actually more whatever that would be, more Christina, become less Christina, and just more a simple vehicle, simple as in not complex, a simple vehicle for the power to move to where it needs to be in the world, and then I would become more and more masterful at how the, to redirect the energy to do that. Okay, so that's kind of how I see this growth and evolution um, of our powers, we don't become more famous, we become less of an obstruction, right? <laughs> less personality and less ego. Okay, so where did I come up with these crazy ideas? Um, so over 20 years ago, um, I went to Ecuador with John Perkins, and this was right at the time of John's transition from the Pachamama Alliance, which is currently um, in beautiful manifestation through largely through the work of the Twists, um, Lynn and I'm forgetting his name right now, Bill, I think, Twist. And then John's energy was redirecting to Dream Change, which is uh, his current not-for-profit. And both of these organizations are doing great work um, in the world. So, But that was right at the time uh, that I went on this trip with John to Ecuador. And so prior to this trip, I'd already been practicing for a number of years um, as, as a practitioner, as a shamanic practitioner, um, and I was already offering the first two parts of the cycle of transformation. Um, and I was doing all of this, particularly the shamanic healing piece of it, with great reluctance. I, I mean, really, every day I was like, really? This is really what I'm supposed to be doing? Are you sure? Um it was really dragging my heels and really like not wanting this to be the answer at all. But at the same time, because it kept being the answer, I, I was learning to better access the river of power that's available and really discovering that it is there, it is accessible. Now, for me, primarily, um, I was doing that through journeying because I was very, um, well, reluctant but also very humble. I mean, I am a white girl from Oregon, right? I don't didn't have that grandmother, that indigenous grandmother that showed me how to do these things. It was all really new to me. And I didn't study anthropology in college. I studied chemistry, you know, so I didn't have any 
preparation in a sense. And so I really was just journeying and asking spirit how to access power, doing what they told me to do, seeing what worked. When it didn't work, I figured I just misinterpreted the whole thing and went back and journeyed again. And so through doing that, you know, my capacity to access power developed by simply working with my helping spirits. And this is why those of you that email me to ask a million different versions of this question all get the exact same answer. At this time, I don't think we should be proceeding as practitioners, even if our primary spirit help is ayahuasca, without also knowing how to journey and working with helping spirits to guide us as contemporary people because of the minefield of contemporary life. So anyway, so I was learning to access power through journeying, working with my helping spirits, and they showed me that I actually already had a means, a well-developed means to access power, and that was through movement and dance. And so in the, so I'd already spent years doing this before I went to Ecuador. I'd also been learning to better redirect that river of power toward intended outcomes through primarily through my sessions with people that you know in the beginning especially man every session with a client was me standing behind the scenes with my fingers crossed going god i hope this works i really hope i can do this and then trying to just get out of the way and let spirit work through me to work with spirit in the journey to make you know, find the soul parts, understand why they're gone, negotiate to bring them back, you know, whatever the clearing needed to be, whatever the prescription was for the person and try to just do that as accurately as I could as I was guided by spirit and then help the human being, the client, understand then how to direct or redirect that power in their life. And I learned everything from just working with clients and to the extent that I was able to, to, to manifest the cycle teachings, learning about redirecting power through ritual, because the cycle teachings are all about working in group, in ritual, and ceremony. And so I learned by doing. And, and I was desperately afraid of hurting myself and others, but particularly others. And so I, I really didn't um, stray far if at all, from the, the best understanding I had of what spirit was telling me to do. And I just did it. I mean, it was really became, you know, the one mastery that I had was the mastery of shut up and do it. Just shut up, do what they tell you to do, figure out later when you see what happens, but just don't think about it. So anyway, so in these, in these beginning years, in this very reluctant time, I'm just learning about accessing power by working with my spirit help. And I became very disciplined about removing obstructions, primarily because what you learn quickly when you're learning to access power and redirect power by working with spirit, that where you're obstructed, you end up getting hurt or sick. And so consequently, I really found that if I stepped up my clearing practice and developed more discipline about that, then then removing the obstructions along the way um, was less uh, painful instead of learning everything the hardest way possible, trying to remove those obstructions proactively instead of waiting until I had to get hit, clobbered over the head with a two by four. Okay, so this was all going on. This was the context. 
So, so this story is really about where I began to learn this fourth aspect of power or making bids for power that I'm trying to talk about here today, which in many ways is like the yin aspect of power. It's not about going outside of ourselves to make a bid for power, which is important and is part of shamanism, but it needs to be in balance. I believe that it needs to be in balance with our willingness to reveal and expose that unique divine power within ourselves um, and, and the, the honest exposure of it, not the egotistical thinking you're so special, but the honest exposing vul- in, through that vulnerability of who you truly are. Okay, so I think that the reason for this is because I don't think we actually are able to cultivate a foundation um, that supports our continuing bids for power. You know, we keep keep making greater and greater bids for power, but I feel like the structure we draw that power into becomes more and more top-heavy if we're not also cultivating this foundation for power. Um, and thus, the, the actual expressions of our power in the world then become false because we're too busy trying to hold up this this structure that's falling over, that's all top-heavy and falling over. Okay, so in this particular trip, what I didn't understand about this trip is that everyone on this trip was making a very specific bid for power. Um, as I said, at this time, John was transitioning to dream change and building dream change, and unbeknownst to me, he was in, in sort of doing... Um, like an audition to try to bring some other people in to help him lead trips. And I didn't realize that everybody on my trip was on that audition, except for two people, myself and this guy from Chicago who just wanted to go to Ecuador and and do plant medicines and have his mind blown. So there was this guy from Chicago who, you know, spent the whole time listening to his Walkman and, and doing plant medicines and not really talking to anybody. And then all of these people vying for this job, basically. And then myself, who was completely clueless that this was the kind of the subtext of this trip, because you know, welcome to my world, I'm usually the last to know. So anyway, so I'm making this different bid for power, though. It's not that I don't have a bid for power on this trip. It's just I not the same one everybody else is doing. Mine in many ways was much more humble because I really saw that if I it, it, I either needed to get on this boat and 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 I'll be all in about being a shamanic practitioner or I needed to stop. That this thing was taking on a life of its own and I needed to either get with the program or end the program. And so I was on that trip to get a sign. That's all I wanted. I just wanted a clear sign from spirit that would either tell me get off the boat and go get a real job or get on this boat and set sail, one or the other, but stop dragging your feet with one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat. Okay, so so, so I'm on this trip and um, I'm extremely vulnerable in this process because I've been having a lot of personal breakdown around this reluctance to do what I'm doing. Um, and yet at the same time, my radar is up on this trip because we're driving around in the van a lot with the exact same people and I'm starting to realize that there's actually something going on on this trip and so I'm becoming less and less available and vulnerable to the people that I'm traveling with 
more and more vulnerable to my own process because I'm starting to kind of dissemble as often happens on these trips, but at the same time, kind of less and less vulnerable to the people. And then I begin to figure out what's actually going on. And there's enough conversation and whispered conversations and backbiting and gossip going on that I start to pick up that everybody on this bus is vying for the same job. Okay. And, and so as I start to figure out what's going on as we're traveling from place to place in Shaman to Shaman, um, one woman begins to kind of stand out in my awareness. Um, and mostly I, I got the sense ultimately, once I figured out that everybody was vying for the same job, that she thought she was competing with me for that job. And, and so I made it very clear publicly to the group that I wasn't interested in that job. I already had a job. I mean, I already had a practice and the cycle teachings. I, I had my calling from spirit. I was just on this bus to figure out if I was supposed to do that or not. But I certainly wasn't going to do John's business for him, right? I mean, I didn't want the job. So I thought that that would change that dynamic, um, but it didn't. In some ways, it put a sharper point on it. And um, it got to the point where this woman was either doing things that totally confused me or that triggered me. I mean, I'm certainly not going to pretend like I wasn't getting my buttons pushed by the whole situation. Um, So anyway, I'm running out of time for my story here. So anyway, so fast forward to we finally get into the rainforest. We finally get with our um, ayahuasca shaman and this woman who is still – in, in this sort of opposition with me, um, for health reasons, isn't allowed to do the ayahuasca. So there's issue number one. Okay. So then I um, take the ayahuasca. I have this long ayahuasca experience. All these other people get their healings with the shaman first. So it's at the very tail end of the night. And um, someone comes and finds me and says, you know, if you want to have a healing with a shaman, you need to get in there because everybody's about done. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. So I go in there and I've been having this amazing experience with the ayahuasca. So I sit down across from the shaman in the sort of healy position. And the woman sits down on the other end of the same bench. And I, I don't know where she's come from anyway. So she's sitting down now and I'm still pretty well in the in the relationship with ayahuasca so I'm seeing a lot more than just physical reality at this point in time and but I still don't understand what the hell the shaman's doing so it's being sort of translated for me as it's happening and um I drink this drink and you know that the shaman spit into and I drink this drink and I feel this energy ratchet down through my body and I think this happens three times and each time there's this ratcheting down through my body and John's looking really confused and I'm thinking oh great because I don't know what the hell's going on and and all this translation goes back and forth and back and forth English Spanish um schwar schwar Spanish English English Spanish you know it's back and forth and finally John just starts laughing out loud and I'm thinking oh this is great (laughs) right and um and John explains that I've been given sensak and sensak are the darts that the shamans in the Amazon use to um to blow at the thing they're then going to suck out in their sucking extractions and of course they really only work very well with ayahuasca but anyway so I'm 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 sitting there going, well, why would he do that? You know, <laughs> I'm totally confused. And I look over and energetically the woman at the end of the bench rises off the bench 
like the a demon possessed, right? Right you now, not that she was a demon, but really that her energy rises off and she starts to reach for me energetically with this 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 um violent desire uh in her eyes. Now this is all just happening energetically. And because I can see this because of the ayahuasca, I, you know, I kind of put up this shield and then she drops back asleep. Okay. So the bottom line here at the end of the show is that what I realized in terms of making a bid for power is that she didn't want the job. She didn't wasn't competing with me for my job. She was competing with me for my power, for my life. She in, in essence she wanted what I had cultivated and and was willing uh, even unconsciously to take it from me and the the receiving of the sense hawk was like this for me was a confirmation but it also was this clarity about what was going on with her is the wanting to take it to have it and that's partly what helped me realize that I actually had something okay but now the important thing I was trying to get into this show and I haven't quite paced it well enough to do it but at the time, that was the most important message about power. I got my I got my sign. I went on and practiced. But later, I considered what did I really learn in the ayahuasca journey? And when I go back to the ayahuasca journey itself, what that was about was exposing the intimate and unique divine power within me. And to put it very simply... After that trip, it simply refused to fit back in the box. And it just blossomed. And I wasn't really sure what to do with it. And it became actually problematic while I tried to figure it out. But it is really through the ayahuasca part of this journey that was all about this other bid for power that I came to understand that we don't succeed in grounding that bid for power and growing from it into someone who can use it well in the world if we are not also cultivating our vulnerability and relationship with our own innate fundamental divine power within. And so for all the many people and shamans and helping spirits and plant medicines and everything that has come together to help to teach me that lesson, I give thanks. To the ancestors that gather around us, to the earth below, and the sky above, and the heart that unites us all, thank you. So everyone, as we continue as the living in this world at this time, may you all grow well in your own relationship with power. Have a good week. <laughs>